0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: If you look up blind spot in the dictionary, it says an area in which your view is obstructed. So the problem with blind spots in our relationships is that they stop us from exhibiting and having like a healthy perspective on our lives and our relationship. Our judgment and our awareness are skewed. So we don't make the healthiest decisions or have the best reactions to situations, people, and our partners. So today you're gonna learn all about what creates these blind spots in your relationship. And of course, my top tips for how to see again. I'm Dr. Abby Metcalf, and I'm a number one Amazon best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and all-around relationship maven with over 30 years of experience helping people create connected and happy relationships. Combining my hands-on experience and all the latest research, I've created actionable tips and tools you can apply quickly and easily to create lasting change in your relationship today. So let's get to it. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, Relationships Made Easy. I am your host, Dr. Abby Medcalf, and it is fabulous to be here on this fine day. This is episode 97, 97, yeah, 97. I'm coming up on uh, the end of my second season for the Relationships Made Easy podcast, and we're coming up on the 100th episode, I Need Your Ideas. What do you want on the 100th episode? And I need you to tell me now. Don't wait because I do record these in advance. (laughs) Otherwise, I'd be crazy. And uh, I want to get that one in the can. I have some ideas myself, but wouldn't you rather have some input? Uh, And so I'm excited about that. Thank you for listening. Wow. Uh, Our. Uh, the, the, the listenership has grown dramatically, dramatically into the tens of thousands. And I I've got, again, people all over the world. It's amazing to me, amazing to me. And my favorite part is that I have never advertised this podcast. It is all word of mouth. It's just been building and building. So it lets me know that, uh, everyone out there, is listening because you heard it from someone that this is a good thing to listen to. So that just makes me super duper happy. And of course, this puppy is a labor of love. <laughs> it takes me, you know, hours a week and and I, you know, just to do it. And of course, I have to pay money to have it edited and all that good stuff. And it's really been part of my mission to Create world peace and it's been a big one. That one relationship at a time. That's what I'm doing. World peace, one relationship at a time. So you are a part of that. Every time you share this, every time you let people know. It is this is my my podcast, it's my big give, and it feels great. And I love it. And I love doing it. And I love when you write in and let me know what you want or and all that. So please keep that coming. Abby at abbymedcalf.com. You can always get in touch with me. So let's get to it. Let's do it. Now How identifying your relationship blind spots is huge. And I'm going to come at it in maybe a different way than you've ever heard before. So get ready. Uh, And of course, you're going to get my top tips at the end, as I always do. Because, you know, I always, I get frustrated personally when I kind of get something, and they're like, well, here's the problem, and then nothing. <laughs> There's nothing to do with it. I'm like, okay, I didn't my problem, now what? So if you're listening, it's usually because you're someone who likes to have some sort of actionable items, and uh, so I always want to give you those. Now, we all come into our relationships with different baggage, and it really depends on how you grew up. So your personality developed as you were growing up, uh, depending on sort of what, school of psychology you you believe in, the, the ideas are that our personalities are pretty well, um, entrenched by the time, most of them say somewhere between ages seven and nine, that your, uh, personalities are, you know, kind of set up for how they're going to be. And so, and Along with our personality, so our personality is really a conglomeration of our coping strategies, <laughs> more or less. I mean, that's what it is. It's that's what comes together. It's what forms your personality. Really, is the way that you, uh, you know, have mentally constructed the world and how you're going to be in it, and of course, how you show up in the world is your, you know, so some people's personalities are very carefree and easygoing. Some are very argumentative. Some are very, right? You you know this. And really, when you think about it, all those things are coping strategies. And so uh, I personally, um, I've talked about this a little bit, but I'm the youngest in my family, and I came into you know a family system that was a, a little intense with my older siblings, and I'm a lot younger than them, which I like to remind them of often. And uh, what. My place in the world was to be very easygoing and the happy baby and the happy kid and the whatever How did I know this as an infant? I you know, that's a whole other story But I did apparently right out of the womb there and so uh, and that's always been my way And really that's a personality that was developed to not be a burden not be a problem Be the happy easygoing one have lots of energy whatever that is Um, As we all know I became a drug addict and had some other issues off of that, but thankfully um, have been clean a long time now. But um, it's uh, there's a way that that, so I've of course had a ton of therapy and rehabs and everything else, and I've gotten uh, uh, different coping skills. So a lot of my personality has shifted over the years in certain ways, the ways I come across to people, um, how my energy feels. I I still am a very kind of high energy person, but the feedback I've gotten from people who've known me much for many years is that that energy has um, shifted into something that feels more whole. It doesn't feel so frenetic and hyper and that kind of thing. It feels um, more—it's calmer and nicer to be around. So it's interesting, just you know, from that doing the work, how who I am has come across differently. Uh, And I feel differently about myself for sure. I'm always working on stuff, but uh, certainly I feel different in my own life about things. And so this is all from my childhood. And as you can tell from the the podcast. I humor is my number one way that I deal with pretty much anything. I, I tend to come at it with a lot of humor, and uh, self deprecating, and you know that kind of thing. But definitely this humor, and that's a coping strategy that I developed. And really, coping strategies are de- defense mechanisms, and. We sometimes, sometimes the defenses are in reaction to people, you know, we want to be the opposite, or sometimes they're in, uh, they're the same, yeah, you became your mother kind of thing. So these defense mechanisms, these coping strategies and communication skills are all front and center in your relationship right now. The issue is that you likely don't know it, again, unless you've done a crap load of therapy. I've done a crap load of therapy, and I still find uh, blind spots and things I don't realize I'm doing. But And we talked about blind spots last week. Uh, you, uh, sorry, we've, we're going to talk about blind spots today. Hello, last week. We're going to talk about blind spots today, you know, in this, that we develop these things and we uh, don't realize they're there. And I what I like to say a lot is that we're fish who don't know we're wet. And this results in a lot of unhealthy, unconscious strategies in our adult relationships. And that's what blind spots are. That's it. That's what a blind spot is. You have this uh, unconscious strategy that you're using, again, these defense mechanisms, these coping strategies, and you don't realize they're there. We all have them. There's no one. The Dalai Lama has them. Everybody's got them. But the problem is we don't know what our blind spots are, hence their very apt name. And we end up in the same sort of dysfunctional relationships over and over, or we're in we're in like one relationship having the same arguments the same frustrations over and over. So if 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 either of those fits you, which it probably does, then you're in the right place. So again, these blind spots are all part of our defense mechanisms. Is Sigmund Freud, the famous Freudy, uh, Siggy, he called them ego defenses. So, but basically defense mechanisms are, they're usually defined as sort of a psychological strategy that we unconsciously use to protect ourselves. Make sense? So it's a, this, this psychological strategy we use unconsciously to protect ourselves. Now, from what, you may ask, Abby, what am I protecting myself from? Well, it's really from discomfort of any kind, anxiety, unacceptable thoughts, things you think you shouldn't be thinking or feeling, or just about anything you're not sure about. And again, these are unconscious, at least initially. So the whole blind spot thing and what we're gonna talk about today. So when we deploy one of our defense mechanisms, really what's happening is we're separating ourselves from whatever uncomfortable or unpleasant thing is going on. That's what you're doing. You're putting a little... Um, Barrier in between the two. And sometimes we use them to keep distance between ourselves and our feelings, uh, like things like shame, embarrassment. I think that's the thing people um, key in the most to, often though, again, anxiety. But, you know, other times I want to point out we use them to keep distance between ourselves and feelings like intimacy and connection because those make us uncomfortable. That when it starts to get deep and you have to tell someone how you feel versus what you think, we start to get uncomfortable. So even in very, quote unquote, happy situations, uh, we can deploy our defense mechanisms. Uh, So and again, that's probably a blind spot you have that you don't even realize you do that. But uh, I'm going to put a camera. That's why why we're here today talking, right? Crazy, right? So for today, we're going to say that defense mechanisms, they operate at an unconscious level. They keep unpleasant feelings at bay. And again, even if something happy is going on, there's something unpleasant underneath that you, you're uncomfortable. Usually it's this discomfort, but it could be anything. And we do use them to make good things feel even better, right? Any, any of those, those are sitting squarely in our blind spots. So these defense mechanisms are just squarely in our blind spots. And so... And I do want, okay, so I want to say also that even though they're negative in many ways, they, you know, keep us from from confronting and being in things and really getting the over our fears, I do want to point out that we need them. You need defense mechanisms. It's not like suddenly they're going to, you're going to uncover all your blind spots and not have a defense mechanism. You need them. Without them, we'd literally implode psychologically, depending on what's happening. They they help us ease into situations and they can temporarily lessen uh, stress so that we can cope better in a moment. The problem, of course, is when we get stuck in these reactions and we sort of perpetuate this unhealthy system of interaction with those around us. But, you know, deny, we know that, and we'll talk about things like denial and things, but we know that uh, we need them initially. I just want to say that. So I'm going to be talking them from about them from a more unhealthy or negative perspective. But the idea is not that you just completely get rid of your defense mechanisms. That's just not how it happens. Um, and again, like I just said, I use humor all the time as a defense mechanism. So when things are tough, I get laughing and cracking jokes. And you might not want to sit next to me at a funeral. You know what I mean? I That's where I go. So it's Uh, you can be the healthiest, most together person in the world, and you generally will use something, um, you know, your same kind of way. And again, it's not always unhealthy when I use humor. And I know with clients, I, I often use it as a means of rapport. And really, as a means of helping them get out of the heaviness of a situation and realizing that there's lightness and love and other things around. Um, and so, for me and my personality, that really works in my counseling style. Obviously, and I don't, obviously, I'm not laughing if I hear something tragic or something like that with a client. And there's plenty of times when I'm very serious with clients. And there's other times I very consciously use humor um, to, shift an energy or something. In my personal life it's less conscious. So, you know, when I'm working with clients there's a whole other thing that happens. But when I'm in my personal life, I know I've used humor and not realized it. Again, that's where it's way more unconscious than usual. So, the bottom line, even with all my years of therapy and rehab, I you know, again, I still need an outlet. I still do this stuff. So, there's lots of defense mechanisms I know you've heard about them before, and there's lots I'm not even gonna talk about today. Uh, uh, what am I not gonna I'm not gonna talk about repression or regression, acting out, dissociation, uh, compensation. There's a ton i'm not I'm gonna go with the ones I'm gonna cover, and I'm gonna do like seven of them of the most common ones I see in my practice because these are likely the ones you're using that are in that damn blind spot. So hurting your relationship without you realizing it. So I'm gonna go kind of with these top ones. So the first one I sort of already mentioned is denial. Denial is likely the one you've heard the most about. When something um, has just a huge negative impact emotionally, denial really swoops in and blocks certain things from your mind so you can avoid the painful feelings. Now, den- I want to be clear, denial is not lying to yourself. That's different. That's just lying to yourself. When you something happens and you see it and you're like, oh, I'm just not going to talk about it. <laughs> That's very different. Um, if you're in denial about something, you actually don't think whatever's happening is true, no matter how clear the evidence is. And the strongest case I've ever had of this was many years ago, when I was uh, starting out in counseling, I worked in hospitals. Also, you know, you do rotations in different areas and, you know, different things. And um, I was at uh, 100 years ago, I was at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital in New York City. And um, I, a woman, uh, I was asked to meet with a woman who uh, was there, she literally, she had come in very sick. And uh, she was actually, she ended up dying about a week later. That's, she was so sick. And she had breast cancer and literally it looked like she had three breasts. She had a lump that was so enormous. She had these huge uh, tumors in her breast area that were enormous. Enormous. The doctors I spoke to said they, they'd never see anything like it. And She was in huge denial because she was a single mom. She had three young kids. She was working her butt off and, uh, you know, not a lot of money. And she just, I, I mean, literally, you know, it's so hard to think. But to her, she couldn't have cancer. She couldn't have it. She couldn't get sick. She couldn't take time off of work. She couldn't be away from her children. So she literally just kept going until she died. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, and I spoke a lot to my supervisor at the time uh, there, uh, a psychiatrist who had, who's amazing anyway, um, who said, you know, he thinks that's, I said, wow, and then she died a week later. He said, I think that's why she died. You know, we broke through the denial and then it all became very real. And then she literally like gave up and and that's sort of what happened it's really it's interesting and who knows really but so she wasn't lying to herself she didn't think oh i have cancer and i'm going to ignore it some part of her brain again unconsciously knew that but it wasn't in her conscious state of being. She was shocked when they said she had cancer and actually had fought it tooth and nail. She said, no, I don't. That's impossible. I just, you know, I don't. And she really was just in denial about this lump and what was happening. It was unbelievable. And uh, way back in those days, breast cancer was much more of a death sentence anyway, but, you know, especially with how far along she was. So just to give you an idea. So no matter how clear the proof is, again, it's not sort of lying to yourself. And I see this a lot when people are first getting together. You might have done this. Someone will have lots of evidence that a person isn't right for them. That a person's cheating or whatever, but they seem to just ignore it, no matter how clear the "quote unquote" proof is. Um, <laughs> my kids and I have gotten into—I uh, shouldn't say my kids. Max doesn't like it as much, but uh, McCartney and I try to watch like 90 Day Fiance. I know, I know, it's it's kind of horrifying, but and there w- there's this guy on there, and I don't really know all the names. I have to admit, I'm not that into it, but basically had some woman in the Ukraine and, you know, um, it's when you hear him talk, there was a couple guys on here like that who had these girlfriends who were in other countries that they felt like they wanted to ask to marry them. They were sending them thousands of dollars, um, all kinds of things. And I know the one person was with this woman for like seven years and had never met her and didn't have her phone number and could only talk to her through one of those sites and, you know, had they had like six times when they were supposed to meet and they didn't. And and actually on the one show they finally did meet, but – um, this other guy, they didn't. And anyway, you're you're listening, and these men are convinced that these women are not playing them. That that they are in love, and this is great. They're given evidence like that they're still on the sites dating other people, and they say they're wrong. I mean, it's they are in complete denial, complete denial. So they're not lying to themselves, and they're just offended and horrified when anyone brings them anything different. I've actually seen the producers on the show say, "Are you sure?" Like. Literally, they're the ones sort of, you know, who you think just want the ratings, but they just feel horrible with these these men. Um, and there's women too, don't get me wrong, who do this also. But there's just this incredible denial. You start to think one thing, and no matter what evidence is presented to you, you just decide it's not true. So uh, it also comes up with um, couples around money and spending. You know, I've asked, uh, this happened, this wasn't that long ago even, I do uh, financial just, you know, getting together finances with couples because a lot of couples fight about money. And so uh, often I'll say, okay, why don't you put together a budget and do that kind of thing. And I it wasn't that long ago I had a couple and they said, um, I said, oh, how'd the budget do? You know, what, where's that at? And they said, you know, we tried to do it, but the money doesn't work. You know, we don't have enough money when you look at the budget, but we always pay our bills. Everything always gets paid every month. So, you know, I don't know how it works, but it just does. So we're not we're not going to do the budget. It doesn't work. <laughs> and I was like, what? What are you talking about? Of course, they have credit card debt and other problems and they're. You know, often borrowing from their parents and stuff. Like, they don't. Of course, it doesn't work. If the money doesn't work on paper, of course, it's not going to work <laughs> any other way. It's not. It's not magic. But again, there's like this denial around it, and uh, yeah, and they're not horrible people or anything. It's just. And I've had so many couples do this over the years, and just people do it over the years. Um, I've done it before, for God's sakes. You know, we've all, I think, gotten in that place where there's this denial around money. Um, so, but again, it's it's denial. You're not lying to yourself. You just literally just kind of, whoop, it's not even here. Um, projection is another one I see. So that's, again, a blind spot. If you have denial, you don't realize you have it. And so I would say to you that when people are giving you feedback and you just think they're crazy, that you want to listen as if you're wrong. Like, what what if you listened as if you're wrong so you can sort of open up, that kind of channel in your brain. It would really, really help uh, help break through the denial. Um, projection is the second one. This is when you're feeling something about someone that makes you uncomfortable or look bad. So you tell yourself instead that they're feeling it about you. Um, you know, I love my mother-in-law. She's the one who doesn't like me. Uh, <laughs> um, my, mother, my mother-in-law was amazing. Uh, but anyway... Uh
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: She's not with us anymore, but she was incredible. Uh, but, you know, you hear that kind of stuff. So, and I see this a lot when one person, a couple, I'll, I'll see like they're super jealous of the other person and that always makes me nervous because I think they're projecting. If they think the other person's cheating and they're all worried about them and what are they doing? Um, I And I don't mean like if you've already caught your person cheating or something and you just think it's happening again, that's different. But I'm talking about that initial thing. I see it a lot with uh, men with the women they're with. And I've seen it the other way too, but I've just seen it more that way. That's anecdotal. That's not like a research or anything, but where they're very jealous of these women they're with, they think they're cheating, all this stuff. And then it comes out later that the men are cheating or that they're, if they're not actually cheating, they're doing things that are cheating adjacent, I call it, you know, where they're, you know, objectifying women or they're, uh, you know, following women on Instagram that maybe they shouldn't be following and, you know, somehow having some flirtations places that maybe shouldn't happen um, or they've cheated before in relationships so they're kind of waiting. It's, it's very interesting to me, but projection happens a lot. I've had clients say to me, you know, I don't think you like me and I'm thinking, I like you fine. And then I realize, oh, they don't like me, (laughs) which always takes a minute. It's like, oh no, what do you mean you don't like me? Um, But again, it's when we're, you know, putting our own thoughts and feelings onto someone else. So, and mindfulness and self-awareness helps a lot with this. Sublimation. This is a biggie. And this is basically when you redirect strong feelings into something that's considered positive or safe. Okay, so going to the gym or for a run or working all the time are often seen right as positive. Oh, they're working out. They're they're oh you know they're doing a great job at their work, but and so in and of himself, of course, it's healthy to go for a run. It's healthy to you know it's great to be good at your job and have pride in it. But what happens is that people use it. Uh, to avoid. So what I'll see a lot is a couple where um, one partner, let's say it's the woman, uh, you know, gets a lot of good feelings at her job, you know, she maybe she's, you know, does amazing at her job. I'm thinking of this executive, this one woman executive I worked with for many years. And, uh, and her husband worked too. She, she was sort of the primary breadwinner though, and, you know, had a more prestigious, let's say job, I guess, if that was a word. But anyway, but she felt like kind of a bad mom. She felt like she wasn't a great wife. And so she spent you know, of course, so when she was home, you know, everyone was clamoring for her attention and she was just feeling like she wasn't good enough. And her husband was, you know, kind of at her a little because she was missing things and he was left holding the bag. Um, and uh, so what happened though, she kept spending more and more time at work because that's where she would feel good. She was avoiding all this stuff at home and she was trying to get all the good feelings she got at work. Um, so that's when it gets in the way. Uh You know, I've shared that um, my man loves working out and he totally uses it as a way of feeling good in the world. Um, And, you know, but... it, he doesn't, like, it's not something where I don't feel like I see him or, you know, he's not around or anything like that. So, but I know, I know, um, I call them triathlon widows, you know, uh, like women who, you know, whose partners are doing, they're not doing them and their partners are doing things like triathlons. So they're gone for, you know, eight hour bike rides on a Saturday and they're, maybe you're a golf widower, you know, maybe your partner is, your wife is playing golf all day on Saturdays and Sundays, you never see her. I You know, there's just ways that you can take something that's healthy, that's a good thing, but it becomes too much. And you're sort of sublimating, you're putting, you're redirecting uh, ener- too much energy into it. And it's becoming a problem because you're using it to avoid other things. Oh, I don't have time for that. Oh, I have to go to work. I have to do this. Um, it could be music, could be arts, could be sports. Again, are all, I think, common places to redirect work. Um, again, it's, great not to lash out at someone in a moment, oh, I'm gonna go for a run, you know, I don't want to lash out at you. But it's not great to avoid connection, obviously, in your relationships. So if you decide, I'm just going to get out of here, I'm going to go listen to music, I'm going to go on a long drive, you know, we're fighting, I need a break, that's f- fine. But it can't be that then you come back and just you know, it's done or like, oh, yeah, I'm just sorry. Okay, let's just move on. Let's brush under the rug. You know, you got to get to the bottom of problems, right? So sublimation is definitely one I see a lot and one you need to work look out for. Um, and again, by making sure that you don't stay avoidant of whatever the thing is, you know, that you come back to it, even if you leave for a little bit, that you come back to it and you um, resolve it compartment compartmentalizations number four and in my experience this usually comes from some trauma in childhood or an avoidant attachment style i'm not going to go into avoidant attachment styles that's i have a whole podcast on that um you can i'll link to that in the show notes for you though so you can go listen to that if you want to read you know learn about attachment styles but, uh, and when I say trauma in childhood, you know, trauma is different for different people. I think people only think of like getting beaten or raped or sexual abuse or really horrifying things as trauma. But, Being neglected by a parent, being ignored, uh, verbally abused, when you don't really see it as verbal abuse, you just think they were being strict. Um, There's maybe a sibling. There's lots of ways to have trauma because it's who you are as a person and how your childhood, how you interacted with your childhood that sets up being feeling traumatized by it. Uh, having an alcoholic parent, again, they never beat you, nothing else, but it, it creates a feeling of unsafety in the house. Uh, having a parent that maybe lost their job a lot, growing up poor. Um, there's a lot of things that are traumatic depending on who you are as a person, your personality. So your siblings might be fine with having grown up poor, but it hit you a different way. Maybe you're in a different place in the family. There's all kinds of contributing factors. So, uh, believe it or not that could totally be there and you don't realize it but basically compartmentalization happens when you separate your life into a bunch of little boxes and you don't let those boxes touch so uh you know i've i had a client who was embezzling money at work and then was apparently a great uh, dad at home you know talk about compartmentalization you're you're lying and and stealing and doing this stuff over here but somehow you're not letting that bleed into your personal life I and I and it does bleed in a little but you know somehow you're doing it good enough job that people are uh, thinking of you in this other way that's compartmentalization or your uh, partner says or does something and it doesn't even seem to bother you something bad it doesn't even seem to bother you because you stuck it in a little box somewhere um, Obviously, this skill can come in handy, right? If you've had a big fight with your partner in the morning, and then you need to go to work and do a big presentation. So compartmentalization can be good. You can stick it away. If you stood there, you know, crying in front of everyone, there'd be a big problem. So being able to compartmentalize is important to a degree. But when you do it all the time and with everything, you create distance between yourself and other people. And certainly, even within your own psyche, you you don't get in touch with your feelings. And if you're not in touch with things, you can't be vulnerable. If you can't be vulnerable, it's harder to have intimate or close relationships or trust with another person. So compartmentalizing things is a a big problem. Uh, The other blind spot I see, the other defense mechanism, number five, is intellectualization. And this is when I see this one a lot also, I have to tell you. Uh, I notice like I'll ask a client what they're feeling and they tell me what they're thinking. Um, uh, or it happens when you remove all the emotion from a situation and you focus, you're focusing on the facts and the evidence. Uh, it's a lot of he said, she said in, conver- in arguments with couples or he, he said, he said, or she said, she said. <laughs> um, I find myself thinking, I swear I'm in the room with two lawyers instead of a couple. So it's great to be in action or, or think things through, of course, but you've got to feel the feelings too. Um, I had a client recently who's, whose father died and his mother was a mess and he uh, and he immediately jumped into doing mode and the problem is that he was so busy organizing taking care of everyone he didn't take care of himself so he just was like i'm fine it's okay yeah of course i'm sad about you know my dad it, he wasn't really sad and so the he was so busy organizing and taking care of everyone else he again he didn't take care of himself and he never grieved himself and what and by the time i he came to to see me with his wife she was just complaining that he was um displacing, right, all these other feelings, he had suddenly become very rageful, he was blowing up at his employees, you know, a lot. Uh, He was, you know, very angry and snappy at home, it was showing up, all this was showing up, because he hadn't really worked through the feelings. Um, And so it's, this is where, this is how um, this happens. And so you start just thinking things through all the time and talking about stuff. Um, uh, Often I'll have couples, they'll, you know, one of them Well, you know, they'll have something they're fighting about, whatever that is. And they just immediately, well, you said you're going to do this, but you said you're going to do this. What about this? And really what has to happen is I feel hurt. And, we know, when it feels like you abandon me, when you say you're going to do something and you don't, I find it hard to trust you again with other things. And sometimes that partner will go back to intellectualizing and say, well, I did this, I did this, I did this, you know, of course you can trust me, blah, 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 you know, and they'll start to do that thing again. And you have to, again, get to the feeling. So really, I I say a lot feelings aren't facts and facts aren't feelings, right? You have to, (laughs) you have to come back to getting out of the facts of a situation and come to the feeling. And really the answer to the intellectualizing is to keep dropping into feelings, keep dropping in, keep noticing them all the time as you're having a a conversation so you can talk about those. Because the facts of a case are are usually never going to get you where you want to go. It's You have to realize that what what's what's going on feeling-wise. And it's happened a lot where I've had someone share their feelings with their partner. And of course, their partner doesn't really actively think they're hurting them. They don't want to hurt them. They'd kill someone else who hurt them. So that is what strikes the chord and gets people to change behavior. This idea that I'm hurting this person I love, I didn't realize your feelings were so hurt, the kind of thing. Um, so anyway, so that there you go so really focusing in that way is really going to help you okay we're almost done number six is displacement and this so because this kind of leads right in which displacement is basically when you have a hard day at work and you come home and kick the dog so you've got a strong negative emotion and you direct it towards an object or person who doesn't usually doesn't feel as threatening to you so uh and this comes up when people feel helpless in a situation, and that helplessness turns into rage. I say a lot that rage is anger plus helplessness. And people end up trying to focus on the anger when they really should focus on the helplessness. Because uh, people are more comfortable dealing trying to deal with anger than they are with this feeling of helplessness or hopelessness. It just feels overwhelming. So if you're noticing that you're really angry in one place, Place this, you know, a lot of folks to do this. It's, again, you're too uncomfortable to really talk at work about something, or maybe you feel trapped at your job. Maybe you feel like your boss doesn't listen to you. But again, it's gonna it, it's gonna squeeze out somewhere else. It's gonna, uh, you know, pollute another area of your life. So it's really important that you take care of whatever the initial thing is. And then the last one I want to talk about is rationalization, which I'm sure again another common one. When you rationalize, you're trying to logically justify. Uh, oh, you know, bad or unacceptable behavior with your own set of facts. So it's it's similar to denial, but a little different. And when you do this, y- you feel better about whatever choice you made. So you you've made some choice. You come up with your own set of facts, and you think it's okay, even if you know on another level that what you did wasn't right. Uh, and you know, an extremely, I'd say an extremely dysfunctional use of rationalization would be when someone physically abuses their spouse or child, but tells themselves that, you know, they had it coming because they were being obnoxious. They, you know, they know if I get mad enough, I'm going to do that. So they shouldn't have done that. It's not my fault. You know, they blame. Um, uh, rationalization just comes up a lot with uh, people just wanting to do what they want to do. And so they come up with ideas of why and of why they can. And again, um you really wanna uh, hit that head on and again, when you're self-aware, which we talk about all the time, when you have more self-awareness and more mindfulness, you'll notice that feeling. You'll notice those thoughts of like, "Oh, this really isn't the right thing to do. Darn it, I'm going to have to do this other thing. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to do the right thing." Uh, but in, and it can be very close to intellectual, intellectualization, where you're, you know, trying to use your intellect to talk yourself through things. But really, here you underneath, you know, it's not right what you're doing, but you're rationalizing it anyway. You're saying it is. Uh, And there's one last one, but I'm going to do a whole podcast separately on this probably next week, which is passive aggressive behavior. That is a huge, um, that's a big blind spot a lot of people have, they don't realize they're doing it because they don't realize all the ways it shows up. And It's a big blind spot in that it's uh, common. It's so, so common these days. So I'm going to talk about that separately. A lot, you know, a lot of you have written in about that. People have asked me about it, and I, I really believe it deserves its own day in the sun. So we'll talk about that. What to do if your partner is passive aggressive in another, or if, you know, Maybe someone at work is passive-aggressive or anyone in your life is passive-aggressive. That should apply to every single person listening right now (laughs) because you have somebody in your life like that. But again, I'm going to sort of dedicate a whole one to that. So these are all these blind spots. You are doing uh, one of these defense mechanisms likely as your primary. Again, my primary defense mechanism is humor. You know, you might have one that I didn't mention here, but these are the primary ones I see a lot. Uh, And... Again, they're not all bad, but you really have to look about when you use them and why. And again, it's almost always to avoid. So you got to stop avoiding, right? You got to kind of hit things face on. So what can you do about it? What are the things? I'm just going to give you my top three tips here for what to do. Um, And that is, first is you have to be curious about yourself. You got to be curious. Ask those close to you for feedback, ask for feedback. Maybe listen to this podcast together. Maybe you've already, maybe you're listening and we're at the end, but go back with your partner and say, what ones do you see me doing? Which, you know, can you talk about your own, whatever, have a conversation, ask your partner, a sibling, parent, coworker, friend, try to ask more than one person. I would say, try to identify three people you trust to give you feedback. And if you don't have three, however many you have, you know, one or two, whoever it is. Hopefully there's somebody you trust to give you feedback. And again, always, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but really take notes, really think about it, really ask questions. And the biggie is gonna be when you get the feedback, don't be defensive, accept it as if it's true. Listen like you're wrong. You've gotta do that there, listen like you're wrong. And so, and the second thing is that once you have this feedback, be accountable to yourself. And you do this by checking in with your feelings off, in uh all these defense mechanisms all these blind spots are about avoidance so often of again these feelings you're not aware of that's really what you're avoiding is this discomfort this anxiety whatever it is that's what's underneath so it's not ta- it's really time to start getting in touch with those feelings and um you know what I'll do? I will list in the show notes, there's a particular, the uh, I think it's called the Hoffman Institute. They have a list of feelings that I love. Um, I think it's really thorough. Uh, it's such a good job, way better than I ever could have done. And so I will link to that in the show notes. So you can come on over to abbymedcalf.com forward slash podcast. This is, um, uh, we're talking to hear about your blind spots. So, and you can download, uh, I'll leave the link to Hoffman. Um, they're not paying me. I, <laughs> (laughs) They're not sponsored. I just, you know, I love good things. Um, And I think this feeling list is, it's so great. And instead of having that thing with all the faces on it, that just feels so juvenile to me. This is a a nice grown-up list of feelings. And they even talk about where you might feel feelings in your body. It's a really good little list. And it's a wonderful thing you could print out and throw on your refrigerator um, or, you know, just have it somewhere in your phone or somewhere that you could see it often and refer to it so that you can really start to uh, identify feelings that are beyond, you know, pissed off, sad or happy. You know, there, there's more. Um, and then the last piece really is I would say, I want you to ask your partner to let you know when they see a behavior. And, I'm going to offer you here, uh, an NLP technique. And again, you can come on over to the show notes and I will link to something I call the wake up word, which I've talked about. It's been a while since I talked about it, but it's basically a neuro linguistic, programming or NLP technique that helps you in a moment, you, uh, stop a behavior. And so basically, you and your partner would come up with a word that you both agree on that's sort of your wake-up word, that's your, you know, the word you say. So uh, it's usually something that has a happy connotation. But when you notice your partner or when your partner notices you – it using one of the defense mechanisms, they would use the word and it would, it sort of snaps you back into the here and now. And then from there, you could be curious, you could ask for feedback about why they thought that or whatever, you know, you can come back to it. But again, these are unconscious things where these blind spots that we're trying to make conscious, we're trying to put into the light of day. So the only way to do that is to really ask, you know, get feedback you know, ask to for people to notice when you're doing it, and to tell you, you know, because it's you have to catch yourself doing it. Otherwise, it's very hard to shift. Again, that's why they're called blind spots. Again, they're aptly named. Um, and so, these using these three uh, things in tandem will absolutely help you get past your blind spots, without a doubt, and really so that you can really change them. You can really notice what you're doing, and it will it will absolutely hundred percent create more intimacy, more trust with yourself, knowing what you're feeling and thinking and being in charge of yourself and with those around you. It's an amazing thing. It really is when you start really doing this. Okay. So that's it for today. I'm going to put a last shout out that I would love some suggestions for episode 100, which is fast coming up. You can send them to abby at abbymedcalf.com. I love hearing from you. I always reply. So send them on in and we'll get to those. Otherwise, have an amazing week and we will talk so soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com.